Welcome to Dice and Mind, a podcast hosted by Brad Brown and Jason Kaufman to explore the intersection of life, games, science, music, philosophy, and creativity through interviews with leading creatives. All are welcome in this space. This is one of those rare episodes where um, I am going solo as host because we have um, two gentlemen with us who have written a book that I am, have been very interested in for a long time. And we've talked about this and we've talked about it before for a long time, but now it's out. And um, I talked to Jason about this, about timing as to when we wanted to put this out. And I felt like it was better that we do it earlier rather than later in the year, just because we're coming up to the end of the year. And from a business perspective, it gets it on people's minds. And obviously puts it on people's minds as we wrap up one semester and start another. So um, I'll let the gentleman uh, introduce the book uh, published by McFarland Press. I'm sorry. Um, I have Dr. Aaron Peterson returning to us. Dr. Aaron, thank you. And then Dr. Jason Kaufman, formerly and temporarily non-co-host of the podcast and now guest of the podcast. Hello. Well, that was very anticlimactic. Aaron's well, normally I'm talking a lot more on this podcast, so I thought I'd keep it simple this time. <laughs> and 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 I'm suspecting nothing will change. We just are starting slow. Um, so, gentlemen, um, I'll start with Aaron just because it's alphabetical um, by first name. Um, talk to us about um, what is the book um, and kind of your thoughts on... Um, your reasoning behind getting involved and, and working on this with, with Jason. Yeah, like I said, um, really, really glad to be back again here. But uh, the book itself uh, is Leadership in Star Trek and it's Lessons from the Captain's Chair. And um, kind of the impetus of where this came from. We I've been fortunate to have been on here a couple of times to, to speak briefly about this, but um, this was kind of... Um, just uh, it manifested from an idea that I think uh, Jason had at one point where he he was tinkering with this this concept. It was already something that he was for sure doing in his classes of of using examples from Star Trek and teaching leadership. And um, and it's no secret that that was kind of the idea of this would be a great backdrop to. To, to use for a book like this uh, because of both of our passions for, for the, the universe of Star Trek. And, and um, it just was a, an idea that could, could there be actually something tangible in there from the standpoint of leadership? Because we felt that there was. And so um, <clears throat> we, we kept tinkering with the idea and kind of uh, going back and forth and going off each other. We, and we decided that um, if we use the different captains the, the captains that we hear about from the different eras of of Star Trek and the different um, the, the different genres and, and episodes um, and generations, if you will, that we would have something to really work with because they provided in almost case study form great examples of leadership, um, both in their successes and their failures. And then we just started to think of okay, well, what is what's the What's what's the real hook though, as far as well, what what in leadership do we want to showcase in this? And that's where we really started to um, 
kind of break down and figure out what were the main leadership traits that we wanted to get into. And maybe Jason uh, wants to kind of talk a little bit about what those are. <clears throat> yeah. I, so I want to be careful not to rehash too much because so, I mean, Aaron, this is your, I just, that would be this. the, that would be the first time ever, by the way, but go ahead. And last, uh, this is Aaron's fourth time on the podcast. This is, this is, turns out my last time on the podcast. This is our, our formal transition. Um, so good on you, Brad and all of our listeners too. Um, so I don't want to rehash, uh, kind of the steps along the way to the book. I think Aaron, you dodged that really well. Um, uh, just kind of getting to the meat and potatoes as it were. So, uh the book uh as this episode drops which is actually just days from our recording this the the book star trek and leadership lessons from the captain's chair has been out for just over a month and uh it dropped on uh, august 28 officially with the ebook available uh within a week it was fast within a week after which is just really neat to us so uh, let me, okay, so Aaron, you set me up for this. So let me, let me share two lines of thought. So in the book, what Aaron and I set out to do was really canvas what we consider the quote, grand captains of Star Trek. Uh, so we have, and I, I want to do this in, in universe chronological order. So right. we've got Archer, Burnham, Pike, Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, even worked in some hologram Janeway. Um, and of course, another healthy dosing of uh, of, of Picard um, because of the new series. But but that said, uh, we, well, man, I mean, to your point, Aaron, you know, Star Trek is what, 57 years and counting, and it has always been ahead of its time. And and as, as, as Aaron said again, each captain we just discovered man the there are so many episodes and so many scenes and episodes and feature films that truly are these little little case studies and we both like using case studies in our teaching i mean it's you know undergrad wise it's one thing but but at the graduate level it's that that harvard business approach of let's use real case studies okay and no one can see my air quotes here but but you know these are to so many of us living breathing characters albeit fictional and each one of them even jonathan archer has something to teach us about leadership and so we we used over 40 case studies from all of the series okay we never got into the animated the animated series, but all of the other series. And we're not crying about that. We're not, although, you know, it's making a resurgence. Not the new ones. Not the new ones I'm talking about. Oh, we original. definitely use Prodigy. Yeah. Prodigy has handled it better than than most. Um, and so, and I'm going to come back to that in a few, but uh, we used almost, so all but that one series, we used many of the films uh, so many of the great ones, right? Wrath of Khan, Undiscovered Country, First Contact, um, Star Trek V, kidding, because seriously, what would God need with the starship? So anyways, um, we used over 40 case studies. And, and you know, really the issue was, man, which, I mean, Aaron and I would debate, like, which ones do we pick? How do we limit this? Okay, so before I ramble anymore, to Aaron's point then, we had two 
two themes that really guided us through the book because they're already there in Trek so beautifully. The first one, first and foremost, the book starts by looking at enlightenment thinking, enlightenment with a capital E. As we say in an early chapter, I think in the prologue, in fact, yes, there were all kinds of problems, bigotry, racism, anti-Semitism, they were alive and well while the human mind was flourishing in some corners during the enlightenment. And that was where we saw the ascension of reason, of logic, to be a guiding principle. But what Star Trek has done in a, a period-appropriate way, right? Like if you look at the original series, it's different than Prodigy. But in a, in a, a, a temporally fixed way, Star Trek has always stressed the importance of enlightenment thinking, the importance of being both logical and compassionate always especially in your leadership. But then <clears throat> how the heck do you translate that to a graduate level classroom, to professional development in a corporation, which honestly, those were the two audiences to whom we wrote. It's widely applicable. I mean, you don't need to know anything about leadership and you can still really like the Trek. You don't need to know anything about Trek. You can hopefully still gain something from the leadership. But, but looking really with a professional development lens, then how do you translate this? So something, something that I found myself doing in my classes over the years was teaching three basic leadership skills. That's what we call them in the book of communication, patience, and relationship. Things that are agnostic to leadership theory, things that are agnostic to a person's background, Basic, basic skills, as Brad posts in the chat box. He's really brief tonight. Well, like I said, I, I'm going to keep it brief on the front and then the back. So, but you asked a question. This is the book, right? No, I, jo I joke. This I is, know. This is what I, I know. I'm not to picking on you, but I am. So, yeah. <laughs> this is, but, but how do you translate this? So, just communication, patience, and relationship. I mean, we can, there are more levels to it, but in essence, what's a skill set that Aaron and I and anyone out there? could learn and could then teach others in terms of just starting as a competent, effective, maybe enlightened leader. And um, I'll tell you a number of years of, of doing this with graduate students has convinced me of the durability of it. It's, it's, there's nothing special behind it. There's nothing unique. And it's, it's, there's no magic, but I do think it is a durable model in leadership development. No, and I've told you both. I, there's a there's a there's a lack, and and I'm going to say this incorrectly. I hopefully you and the listeners understand. There's a lack of a heartfelt discussion about leadership in the field of leadership, and I feel like this does it. I want to ask you both toward the end, kind of. What I'm taught, what I'm asking about tonight are probably things that I haven't asked either of you before. And I've kind of like documented some of them, not to, not for gotchas, just because to keep it fresh. Um, I'd like to talk toward the end of the logistics of how you came together and what the process was like writing. Cause I think that's fascinating making the, making the sauce. But before I do that, something Aaron said caught my attention in a good way. And so I'm going to skip around, redirect as we need to. Um, as a leader, and this sounds simplistic, but I think the answer is more complex. 
how does failure play into learning and adapting and being a good leader? Well, I think if I can jump in first here, um, you know, it's kind of funny to think of the Kobayashi Maru, you know, it was Kirk that said that he doesn't believe in no win situations. Um, yet, you know, through all the loss and the different things that he had to experience and all the other captains, we saw that time and time again, those captains and even leaders in our own, you know, in our own lives, in our own generation, if you will, they are faced with no wins situations. And, you know, I kind of even look at some of the the, the difficulties that I've encountered um, just even, even more recently in, in, in respect to teaching leadership um, and some of the things that my students have come back and told me it's, and it, but it's something that I've always pressed in my classes though, is that, you know, the leaders that tend to make the biggest impact on us, the ones that we think about, the ones that we've read about in the books. And now that we have one, it seems kind of crazy, but um, those leaders didn't become well-known because they had easy situations. You know, quite often they were faced with dire situations or they lost at times. And then what did they do after that? You know, what was, what was the next step after that? And so I think that um, those are the lessons that can be gained in failure. And those are the things that I've even tried to teach uh, my own students too, is that when they come across these difficulties, people are still watching you and they expect you to behave in a certain way. And there are, there are, there are always people that are trying to take, you know, that are looking to you, even if they're not directly coming to you for answers, they're looking to you in those situations to, um, that, that you're going to compose yourself in a certain way. And, those are, I think, are, the, are some of the lessons that you can gain in quote unquote failures, because even in failures, you know, whether it's in sports, I know that Jason would have a lot to say about that, too. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, um, you know, there's all types of lessons. If you don't win, you know, it's it's um, there's there's that tends to be the best teacher than constantly having successes, because um, if you can't reflect and if you can't self-evaluate, then you're not becoming a better leader. I get a kick out of the fact that before Jason goes, um, that I can actually have a conversation and we can use sports analogies and the guy that I'm talking to isn't going to go cross-eyed. So, um, you know, so Jace, what's your thoughts on this before just, and just before, by the way, Aaron Vikings suck, but Jason, um, what, what are you, you know, I guess for me, and this is, you know, I've learned more from failure. I can go back and find that, but that's very hard for people. It's hard for people to, you know, it, it, to understand and come back potentially from failure um, rather than look at it constructively. This is not the breadth of your book. It's just an area as a leader that I just find interesting. And since both you teach it, it's. Well, um, and you know, it's a great question, Brad, because failure is one of those topics that, I mean, Aaron and I talked about, right? Because every, so everyone, the reason we have 40 plus case studies is because every case study has a different focus, failure being one of them. So for example, right, page 80 in the book, we look at the research on failure dynamics and what that can do to a group, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's, that's crucial because the book is infused with research, right? I mean, Aaron and I would like to think we do a fairly good job teaching some of this stuff, but 
I mean, anyone who's looked at the leadership books out there, come on. I mean, they're awful for the most part. There are a few that are actually well done and based on research, but the other 99% of them are just good ideas without anecdotal and platitudes. Yeah. And not that there aren't good ideas out there, but, but, you know, I'm a scientist. If you don't have evidence, I'm just not interested. Save the idea. I want to hear about it, but don't, don't claim it to be truth. And so for us, it was important that there was evidence backing and guiding everything. So in terms of failure, then I'll just, I'll, I'll close with this. I think again, because Trek is so darn useful for leadership development, right? What did Picard say once to data? Uh, let me get, let me quote this correctly. I was just thinking about this, about this actually the other day. Um, losing does not mean you've done something wrong. That's not failure. It's part of life. I'm, I'm misquoting a little bit, right? But but this is what Trek is about, right? Of always being strong, of always being compassionate, but then learning those skills so that, like we say in the book about research in terms of failing forward, right? That, that there's something to be said. And I mean, Aaron said it, right? Failure is a great teacher. It sucks along the way, but, but you know, we all need humility in our leadership. When you both think about, and, and, you know, I, I told the gentleman this beforehand with, and for full disclosure, I'm reading this book slower, partially because I think it, not to sound patronizing, I know the two authors. And so I want to read it carefully. Um, and two, I find it that I much, I like reading it by, by chapter and all that, because it allows me, it maybe not the best way, but I think of it as like, it's not a devotional, but I read a page or something a day of that and contemplate it. Read of it, brother. I'm, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing that here because, and like I said before, it I wanted to help me reset as I take my next leadership role. But that's that's, a, that's great feedback because we wrote it really intentionally so that anyone could read any chapter of it that resonated or was useful, or could even just read it the studies with the topics that were helpful. So that's really good to hear. What do you both think? Um, I don't need your magic number one answer for this. You can always save that for reading. What is N important or A important, if I use incorrect uh, linguistics, um, point that you wanted to come through based off of your individual work, if that makes sense. That's a, that's a very broad question, I know, but I've listened to you both a little bit. I was not involved in the internal discussions and all this, so I'm looking at this as, a, as an outside party. You know, each of you give me one item as a reader that you would hope would come through to me or to, a, yeah. to any reader. Um, first of all, before I do that, I'll give you mine, but Jason, I think the quote that you were doing here does happen to be in the captain's logbook that I bought you when I was in in Oregon. There, uh, that exact that quote from Pike or from Picard is in there. But is it this one? Sometimes you can make no mistakes, do everything right, and still lose. Perfect. So, that is not failure. That is life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the one thing, Brad. Good question too. Um, that I think I was hoping was kind of an overarching thing in the way that we came to our leadership. Uh, 
know, traits, the three leadership traits of communications, patience, and relationship. Um, communication was a big one for me because of my background and having a, a master's degree in negotiation, dispute resolution, um, or, you know, conflict management, conflict engagement. Um, this idea that um, even, and there's enough, there's enough uh, data, excuse me, data out there that shows that, um, that humans are not good communicators on the whole. And that can often be where a lot of conflict stems from. But you can still be a good leader by continuing to work and have a conscientious effort in your communication. And so I think that each of the captains, they show that in different ways. And, um, and from my background, looking at how we sprinkle in ways to even be more competent when it comes to engaging in conflict at various times, I think that that's demonstrated pretty well. So, I, I'm just, yeah. While you're I, while you're thinking about yeah. this, Jace, I think, I think the fact because we've had you on before talking about mediation, and um, we're going to have you back again about it because I think it's and it is a. Let's just look at the political climate without having to pick sides. Let's just assume mediation's a lost art. Um, you know, and, and even in areas of business and all that. So, um, just a random thought. I think the idea of further discussions on that and people coming from a perspective that, you know, you don't have to win everything to win. You don't have to lose everything to lose. I know that's an over oversimplification. Um, but I think that's important for people to realize, especially now. Sorry, Jason. I would, I'm curious as to what you think is, um, a point that you that again not the major point I don't think the book really provides one singular major point it provides lots of them um, I, I I think that the major lesson of the book right lessons from the captain's chair I think the major lesson of the book to my thinking is leadership is learnable uh, this this is crucial. You know, one of the one of the one of the things Aaron and I talked most about in the earliest stages of conceptualization. You know, long before there was an outline of chapters, like early stages, was that in Trek, everyone has a chair at the table. Everyone, and that when they don't you pull out another chair and every every iteration of trek although you know maybe uh, incompletely but for its time every single iteration of trek has demonstrated that everybody's voice should be heard at that table and part of getting there and and recognizing the amazing diversity of voices voices right like idic was a real a, a real thing for us while we were writing this and obviously it pops up all throughout the book because it pops up all throughout canon right the vulcan philosophy or concept of idic infinite diversity in infinite combinations the more types of perspective you have at the table the better you can lead, right? We we actually know this from research, right? That's just not being Pollyanna-ish and trying to be good people 
and do the right thing, how blase, right? We we know from research that that the evidence says, look, when a group, a team has a diversity of thought process, they do better solving problems. And that's what leadership is, it's solving problems, right? It's decision-making 24-7 sometimes. So to my thinking, the takeaway of our book uh, among, I mean, I like to think there are a bunch of them, and but but the takeaway is leadership can be learned by pretty much anybody, and it can be it can be learned well, right? Right up front in the book, um, I think I think in chapter one after the prologue, we talk about the trait versus skills debate in leadership. Are some people innately inherently better leaders? Yeah, undoubtedly. Who know? Who knew? It turns out that that being intelligent correlates with being a better leader. Shocking. Of course, it also turns out that being taller and attractive uh, correlate with being perceived as Aaron smiles. You know, three for three, not bad. As Aaron smiles, um, but but those are perceived as being better leaders. But you know, you can't teach someone how to be smarter because they can't be but you can absolutely teach them how to lead better. We all can learn that. And so that's really the purpose of the book, bringing everyone to the table. That's what Trek allows as a perspective, as a, as a mindset, and then providing a basic set of skills that literally anyone can learn. And, and honestly, in a fairly short period of time, then it's a matter of having practice. And that's why all the case studies. What did you say? It was skill versus what? Trait versus skill. Trait right? versus Traits skill. are inherent, skills are learned. Um, I mean, the reality is most things in life, it's both. But but our implicit, I mean, Aaron, disagree with me, but I think our implicit argument in the book across the chapters is that leadership is first and foremost about learning how to lead. Yep. Yep. I think that that's something that we, that we um, provide ample evidence for in that. And um, I think that the those that choose to read it will We'll definitely get a taste of that. And to your point too, Jason, um, you know, the whole concept of, you know, it, it was it was very early on as far as the, the the visual idea. I remember sending you pictures early on of of different ready rooms, of even possibly using them as like a cover for the book of of this idea of and and also and you also come to the come to the, the table as, as part of the ready room. And that was that was kind of the that was kind of the the imagery that we were working around when we were, you know, starting this. Um, that that everybody does have a seat there because it's necessary. If you, I want to get into the the logistics here in a second, but it, in both of you talking, it reminded me that um, we have people, and I'm thinking business world, um, not politics, business world, who have been perceived as great leaders. But really, when it comes right down to it, based off of science, it really wasn't their leadership. It was something else that ultimately um, was passed off as their leadership ability. I'm not going to name names because, I mean, anyone who follows business can kind of figure out who were the people out there that were considered great leaders, but really might have been good people and innovators or whatever, but weren't necessarily leaders um, or good ones. I know that as I am perusing through the book, I realize how much more I need to learn um, as someone who has been a leader. Have you both 
in your study in this, and obviously you both teach it, um, and I have a part B question to that, but have you ever pondered this idea of taking what you've learned and kind of looking out into whether it's business, politics, whatever the case is, and in effect, almost applying your own um, research and all that and saying, okay, you know, Brad was perceived as a really good leader, but really he had a whole lot of work and it was just the luck of circumstance or the luck of X, Y, and Z. Um, that's a really, I'm, I'm a deep cutting question on that. It's just because I could see people reading this and then not only being introspective about it, but also looking at the people they report to. That, that would be, that would certainly be our hope. I mean, there, there are lots of points in the book where we ask the reader to reflect on their own experiences, right? It's more than once or twice is it, think back to a time when, or or think of a leader who did or did not, um, that it has to be, it just has to, or, or turn on the news. Can I, and, and can I say, one of the parts that I'm also most happy with, because uh, I think it was something that Jason and I worked, and I, I was trying to shape it in there somewhere, and I'm glad of how we used it, but wouldn't you say, Jason, in a lot of ways, the guidance from guidance section in, in the end of it is kind of the reader's chance to, to kind of answer this question in a sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's, that's really, that's really key. Um, so we should have mentioned this right away up front and we totally, I totally blocked on this. Um, uh, every chapter starts and ends. It's intentionally capped. It starts with, a brief fictional vignette that moves sequentially through the chapters. So over the course of the book, we hopefully, if effective, walk you through being in the century of your choice, right? I swing more 25th, Aaron swings more 23rd, 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and we walk you through being in the shoes of leadership. But then more importantly, to your point, Aaron, Every chapter just about ends with guidance from Guinan, where where we we sit we we prompt. Okay, here's what we just talked about. You're in ten forward on the Enterprise D, right, the fat one, and you are you're sitting down at a table, looking out at the stars going by, and Guinan sits down in her her way that she so often did to ask, "What's the you know what's the boggle?" And then she says just something very straightforward that hopefully as the reader gets you pondering your own question gets you. And so, yeah, again, really, we wrote this so that it could be used as as a textbook or as a training manual, although we mean that in the best possible way. We'd like to think it's highly readable. But yeah, if it's it's leadership. So if it's not reflective. Right. If you're not a like, like Shun's reflective practitioner idea, if if it's not reflective, then how are you going to internalize these skills, especially when you're newer? Gets you pondering. And once you say to Jason, hopefully, as I, I think I coined it at the end of each guidance section, hopefully almost like a call to action. Like, what do you want to do next? Yeah. You know? And that, that was all you. Do you so and both of you came from kind of different angles and merged in, you know, merged their careers at the leadership level okay, or at the level of studying and teaching leadership. Um, here's where I'm going to 
make you critique each other. What do you think, you know, Aaron, what do you think Jason brought to the table that you didn't have? Jason, what do you think you brought to the table that Aaron didn't have? And I say that seriously. I mean, obviously we can make jokes here about Aaron. No, 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 it's a great question. Aaron, Aaron brought hair, Jason didn't, you know, et cetera, but um, so, so I want to make sure I understand the question, Brad, but you, in, in this collaborative project, what, what, what am I identifying that Jason really brought to it? Is that kind of what you're, yeah, that, that maybe, and again, I'm not trying to, to, I'm not trying to, to disparage either one of you, but what do you think he brought to the table that skill, knowledge, perspective that you didn't have that helped you learn and broaden and helped with the book writing? Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, I, I could go on about many things uh, for Jason because of the amount of respect that I have for him, and it's no secret, but um, as a friend and as a mentor, um, but I think first and foremost, he brought, he brought this idea that, you know, even as we were experimenting and we, you know, we sent the article idea to StarTrek.com to see if it actually had legs, but Jason first and foremost brought the the um the gumption and the uh the conviction that this is gonna happen come hell or high water like this this is uh i know what this is is good and it's different and people are gonna be better for seeing it so this is gonna happen and so um so that was huge i think from the from the get-go because that that gave me the confidence to especially on my stage I didn't think that I'd ever be embarking at least at this point, maybe even ever if it weren't for him to, to figure out the process of, of writing a book. And, and as it's turned out, the things that we've learned in the whole process have been fascinating as far as the, the knowledge that we have now. Um, so that was, that was absolutely huge um, in, in, in this, but I think that the other big piece that he brought to this as well too, is he really brought a true legitimacy this project because of his background in psychology and um and and truly the knowledge um that he brings from that that facet um the whole time i knew that the fun that we were experiencing because we both love star trek different genres of star trek and some some same ones that we love together but i knew from the get-go that this is also a really serious piece that we're doing here because of the fact of that he's on this and he's the lead author and he's involved. And, and, um, and so this is, this is going to be really good because of, of that perspective and that knowledge that he has from that area of leadership. Um, and so that got me really, really excited as well too. So I could go on beyond that, but the, those are big ones right there. Well, thank you. Oh, that, yeah. was, that was, that was very good. Obviously I know you probably could both, both go on both for a great period of time with each other, but um, Jason, what is, what are your thoughts? It's such a good question, Brad. Such a good question. Um, yeah, there's a lot to say, but but I'll I'll focus here. So you'll see why I'm starting this way. You guys both know me really well, and I can at times be a bit intense. Uh, Aaron, Aaron has this almost unique ability to know when to indulge my ideas and know when to challenge them. And when he challenges them, he won't let go of it. It's always super tactful and friendly, but it's, it's like, well, and he'll keep, I mean, 
Aaron will beat a dead horse as badly as I will. And that has been so useful. And so I think the two of us found kind of a back and forth workflow really soon. And part of it was early on Aaron just giving me the gift of indulgence. Uh, and I, I, I really mean that. I, I mean, we had talked early on. So I have always considered myself very solo when it comes to work, ideas, whatever. And, and along the way then in the past years, I found myself collaborating with more and more people. Like, like Brad, you and I have known each other forever, and this has been one of the most joyful collaborations I've engaged with in anything, our podcast. And then akin to that, you know, writing this book with Aaron, I, and, and I should say thank you, you know, publicly to you, Aaron. We've never really talked about this blatantly, but it has become super clear to me. Writing the book with Aaron really was the first time anything or anyone taught me the joy of collaborating. Because, I mean, it. we just, I think we both absolutely loved the process. I mean, to, to do this, but to then to write it together. And so I think, you know, Aaron's was just selfishly one of Aaron's strengths was was giving me that that opportunity. And then again, selfishly, where I benefited the most was basically I would go off and write. And I come back and then it would just change. And even more so, like, I mean, Aaron and I spent so many hours outlining, so many hours at, over days, sometimes weeks, debating what should be in it, where should it be, what are the case studies, which I, I, items uh, should be here and there. And, and like, I would think I'd have a pretty good idea. And then Aaron would counter with, well, let's do this instead. And here's why. And so, so, you know, the book is so much better because of Aaron than I ever could have possibly done on my own. I, I just, I, I am so grateful for that. Then the other piece to that is, uh, same question, but unrelated piece is um, Aaron is just naturally so savvy when it comes to working with people. And so Aaron's hand in navigating the proposal process, uh, which can be arduous, right, of getting this thing published, of getting it accepted, of communicating with people. I, I mean, like Aaron said, there are so many steps along the way. It truly is fascinating. But his innate, because it's not skill, his innate polish, his innate ability to interact with people, it, it's just been so good so you know like like we've we've been writing together we've presented together we've done this stuff together people love listening to him and interacting with him and i can say that's not their experience with me i'd like to think i'm a fairly compassionate guy but people really enjoy engaging see what i did there with aaron and so in terms of the the writing and the conceptual stuff it's been outstanding in terms of the nuts and bolts of actually getting this out to press it's just been huge. So it's just been a really cool collaboration. Because like you said, Aaron, we come from such different backgrounds. And actually, you said this, Brad. And then we kind of have met in that faux middle of, and we're both in leadership, right? Leadership education. Um, 
it's 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 been really good it's just been awesome i think one of the themes of the podcast and and i've i've met and come to know aaron through the podcast and through the texts that we have and through our um our temporarily paused but soon to be resumed uh rpg game sooner than later um so i find it I find it fascinating how you both have come from different angles and I can see in the writing um, and in the, in the chapters where both of your flavor fits through. I was going to ask questions. We're running out of time. Um, I was going to ask questions about the logistics of it. I'd like to have a separate episode on that. We've had Jim Johnson on from Odiphius to talk about what it's like to go through the publishing process. I would like to have, I'll talk to my co-host about this, but I'd like to have you both back on, Jason, and have you both back on, because I really think that's an interesting for people that are listening here that are writers. And there are probably people that are out there that are interested in writing and may not necessarily want to write, you know, the traditional like Delray paperback fanfic thing, you know, and, and there's there's an interesting process to that. I think there's an interesting process to what you all went through the logistics. So I'd like to, to temporarily table that and come back to it. In a, in, in a subsequent episode. I would love that if, if, if you're willing to have me just yeah. to your point, Brad, I, I, I had a couple of people come up to me, not in the industry, but just people that I know, coworkers in other areas. They found out through the grapevine, strangely, mm-hmm. that I had written a book. And their first question was, how do you even do that? And it, it's kind mm-hmm. of just one of the, you know, it's, it's so, you know, I, I think maybe your question probably has some legs to it there. Yeah. And I mean, even, even having met you and knowing Jason and hearing, you know, the steps that you have been going through and all that, I think I find that interesting. Um, And any way we can show others that, you know, if you have a story to tell, if you have research that needs to be out there, especially when it comes to leadership in my perspective, I think there's a discussion to be had. I want to take us over um, to a modified version of our GM corner. But be, before we do that, Jace, do you have a little section of the book that maybe, or a little piece that you wouldn't mind reading before we transition over? Yeah, thanks. I'm actually going to read the very end of the book. Just our, our concluding our concluding thoughts. I know that's maybe giving it away, but it you won't learn anything from just the last few paragraphs. But I think they're the best paragraphs that summarize the whole book, which is obviously what we were we were aiming for. So this is this is how we how we just about close the book. In the chapters above, we have offered a simple and readily mastered set of basic leadership skills, communication, patience, and relationship, to aid in the learning and practice of leadership. As we explained in a much earlier chapter, these skills are not intended to solve any problems. They instead are offered as a toolkit that can be kept readily at hand to help you navigate the vicissitudes of leadership. Effective leaders can utilize the basic leadership skills to meaningful effect. Communication is critical to effectively working with others. Patience is necessary more times than one tends to realize, and most especially and counterintuitively during times of crisis. Relationship is the foundation upon which it all ultimately rests. And remember the value of the Boimler effect. We need downtime to process events and plan meaningful responses. Yes, even those of us who tend to always fire on all proverbial cylinders. It is better to be at the ready, but with phasers set to stun.
So let's uh, jump on over to a modified version of the GM corner. Um, you know, just from both your perspectives, obviously um, you've got a book published that has not stopped your teaching. It hasn't stopped your writing. It hasn't stopped anything else that you've got going on. Um, you know, what is on your desk, either virtually, virtually or physically um, these days? Jason, I'll let you. Yeah, so um, I can tell you what's very much on my desk, and maybe this is a bit of a cheat. It is tangentially related to RPGs, but it's very much related to our discussion for this episode. Uh, Aaron and I are actively immersed in the glorious writing of a second book. Uh, no promises yet. This is a ways out. Um, uh, if, if, if we get this one published and I am absolutely convinced again, we will, uh, we're just probably talking about two years from now, but we are now pausing to revise a couple chapters. We've already written six of the nine chapters of the book wow. and the focus of it is on humble leadership. Uh, all three of us have talked about this, but Aaron and I have, we talked had an about, episode on this. We, we had an episode on this. Yeah. A while. Right. That's right. Um, this has been on my mind a long time and especially as of late. And, um, and in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll just share this. I think I've said this maybe before, but, uh, in, in one of those other episodes, but as we were still finishing leadership in Star Trek lessons from the captain's chair, I and, and like the end was in sight, at least in terms of the writing, I began to feel as strongly, if not more strongly, about the necessity of writing the second book, honestly, as of the first book. And it had to be, it had to be on the importance, the cruciality of humility in leadership. And uh, although there was uh, inside trading here serious debate about how we could use obi-wan kenobi as our focus in fact the you don't have to answer but someone raised their hand as to who wanted to bring that up well i mean it was absolutely aaron's idea and i was i was on board i mean this was this was back when kenobi was coming out and um but but i knew the the second book i want to write and then when pike was dropping the first season it's like oh man and and then as the second season was was announced uh so the book is we have a working title which undoubtedly will change but it's on humble leadership and it's entirely focused on captain pike as presented in strange new worlds at present the first two seasons and um it is whereas Leadership in Star Trek was, right, intro to leadership, especially for graduate students or mid-level managers, perhaps. This second book on humility and leadership through the lens of, of Christopher Pike, um, we're not holding any punches. This, there are three pieces that I just find thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable to write. One, um, we are aiming for cabinet-level leadership. Uh, executive leadership. It's it's in no way limited to that, but we're writing with cabinets in mind. Two, it is big time scientific. Like like we 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 every chapter in the first book 
is scientifically grounded. This is, in my mind, a quote-unquote science book for leaders, and it's about damn time. Sorry, but true. No, and, I was I was giving yeah, you the nine. I, I know, I appreciate it. And and third, and actually most important to me, is along the way we're going to use that science to teach the reader uh, mind body practices to be healthy, to heal, to think better, and consequently to be more effective humble leaders. So that's what's been on my desk for a while and is Not going much. to be for a while. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a little underwhelmed by that one. So but but as I, I know you both are working on it. I've you know you've given me kind of the heads up. I don't have any detail that you both are working on it. This isn't about me. I'm very excited to hear about this because my opinions on this are well known amongst the three of us. While we were talking, Aaron was rushing out. Eric, Aaron, I don't think you had to really worry that much about what to talk about for this section. I will ask you then: What is whether it's professional or personal or whatnot? What's been on your desk, or what's been what's taken up mind space? Well, it's kind of ironic because it it also is is in line with with what Jason just said here because we have had this project and and it's 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 true, Jason, almost in the same way, and we'll hopefully get to this. And we get to the logistics of how this first book came to be and what we did. But um, in a very similar fashion, when he came to me, as we're kind of coming to the ending stage of what we could do in this first book, he was like, this is what I want to do. And, and I was I was the going back to what Jason had said, how we're able to I'm able to challenge him. And, and we kind of went back and forth on this a little bit. I thought this second book, we could do something from the perspective of Jedi and and Obi-Wan and, you know, and how we could look at humble leadership through that lens. And he, I, I don't, he convinced me because he had, he had a better argument um, for my favorite captain, Captain Pike, that he should be the focal point. And so as a result, as we've been working on this, this second book, and then he's been just doing truly a phenomenal job on this, as far as the depth that this book gets into. But what this brought me back to is, this was a book that I had actually bought five years ago and now I picked it up again. Uh, and Jason knows when I got this, cause it's also when I was out in Oregon and I went to Powell books, um, which was, if anyone's ever been to Powell bookstore in uh, Portland, it takes up like, I don't know how many city blocks. It's just, it's the most amazing bookstore, but I found this, this book at the time. And this was obviously way before strange new worlds or anything had come up, but it's star Trek, the captain's table. And even when we started to write the first book, I told Jason, this was in the back of my mind as kind of like a, but this particular one is about Christopher Pike and it's called Where, well, Where Sea Meets Sky. And it kind of chronicles, I don't know if it's exactly considered canon, but it chronicles Captain Pike's adventures when he first you know, became a captain. And, um, and so, yes, uh, Brad's putting there who's the author and it is, so it's it's by Jerry uh, Oltion, O-L-T-I-O-N, uh, Jerry. Um, but anyway, there's a few books from the captain's table. There's actually six books in this series. I don't know who else they chronicled. This was the only one I could find. This is book six of six. So presumably this is the last one. But this is very interesting because it was Pike before we've ever seen Pike before in any type of series. And he's, he's quite young, as you can see in 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 if if you can actually see the cover he looks like a, he looks like what what james kirk looks like in strange new worlds on that page yeah 
And you can clearly tell it's modeled after Jeffrey Hunter, who was the first Christopher Pike before, you know, in the 60s for the pilot episode. But um, but now that we're in this new project, this has been kind of an interest of mine to kind of almost kind of reinvigorate myself back with my favorite captain um, and kind of see some of the other sides that we don't necessarily see. And, and again, more of his formidable years. And so um, so that's been not so much on my desk, but kind of on my nightstand is, is one that I kind of go to as I think about the day and, and, and things like that. So I, I take notes a little bit because when you guys, when I get you both talking, this is how I, I had some of the questions from, for this time, I have to take notes for the next time you're both on, because there are questions that come up as you're talking where we could in effect run this episode four hours, if I'm not careful. Um, but again, um, next week, my co-host will return as a co-host. Um, thank you both, uh, sincerely, thank you both very much for coming on and talking about this. The book information will be in the show notes. You can get it out on Amazon. You can go to McFarland Press's website. I know I've seen it out there. Um, it's now an ebook form. Um, and obviously, you have um, a straight line to the authors. So if you have questions, um, their, the contact information for them on Twitter and everything is out there or send a message to us. We'll get it to, obviously you'll get it to Jason. We'll get it to Aaron. Um, but again, thank you both. Um, appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on a job well done with this one and looking forward and best of luck as you continue in the book too, because I think it's well needed. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for for the you discussion. You do it for right? me because I was of worried. Course. That, okay, oh no, of course, yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. No, I just wanted to thank you both for being back, and I can't wait for the fifth time because, like Saturday Night Live, hopefully I can be part of the five timers. You got the smoking. You're gonna get the. Well, Jim didn't get a smoking jacket, but we'll find something for you. One, so. two, three, four, five. You're great. You know the the, <laughs> the handshake and everything. You know. So. Yes. Jason, that's that's. Uh, Jason doesn't really necessarily know that type of television. If it's not, if it's not PBS, then it's not him. So the last thing I watched was Nova. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. So, uh, so take it out for us. Yeah. On that note, everybody, thanks as always for being with us. Be well, stay well. We will see you in another couple of weeks. Bye.